we're going to be in the book of Acts in chapter 16. And we're going to take a little trip today with the uh, Apostle Paul and others. And so let me give you a little background. Uh, Paul took three missionary trips. This is what this uh, event that we're going to look at today is from his second missionary trip. So uh, in the in the first one, if you had a map, they, their trip kind of went like in the letter C, starting in the bottom and in at the top, and they kind of backtracked after that. Uh, this one is going to go, it'll, if you want to uh, map it, it'd be a C kind of in the opposite direction, a bigger C, because they're going to spread out a little bit further as they share the gospel. Uh, but this second missionary uh, trip started with a conversation Paul had with Barnabas, and he basically said, hey, let's go back and visit the churches and the people that we met in our first missionary trip. And so they decide to go, and then there's a little argument between uh, Paul and Barnabas. And it was over a, a, a guy named John Mark. You would know him as the author of the book of Mark. And the argument was that on their first missionary trip, John Mark set out with them. Uh, and then when they got to the Isle of Crete, uh, John Mark deserted them. We don't know why. Okay, It might have been a silly reason. It might have been he was just scared to go on the mission trip or some other reason. My personality still moves on. But anyway, um, but uh, or it could have been something more serious. They believe he, uh, John Mark had family in Crete. Maybe somebody was sick. He wanted to stay with them. For whatever reason, he deserted them. So Paul did not want to bring him on this second trip. And Barnabas wanted to give him a second chance. And so they had a sharp disagreement. And uh, what they agreed on is that they would separate and go on two different missionary trips. And so Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed basically the direction that the first missionary trip went. And Paul went the other direction. And he had a young man uh, with him named Silas. And so Paul and Silas set out. Uh, as they travel through some of the cities they've been in before, they come across a young man named Timothy, a very young man, probably a teenager. Uh, they had met uh, his, at least his grandma on an earlier trip, and they decide to take him with them. So he joins in this trip. And so as they travel, you'll, if you were looking at the scripts, you would see that uh, the writer of the book of Acts, which is Luke, he'll start saying, he's saying they. He says they, they traveled here, they met Timothy, Timothy came with them. And then it says they tried to, to travel up to Asia Minor, but the, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them go. And they tried to travel to this city, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them go. And finally, there is a, a portion of scripture where... Uh, Paul, in a dream, has a man say, come to Macedonia. And so he wakes up from the dream and says, God called us to go to Macedonia. We better go there. And so at that port portion of Scripture, it changes to we. So we know at that point, Luke joined them too. So in this missionary story, uh, and, and most of you will know it was a story of Paul and Silas, Timothy and also Luke are with them. So we're going to pick up in the book of Acts, chapter 16, and in verse 11. And it says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace the following day to Neapolis, and there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. I'll stop there for just a second. Well, it says, and we remained there several days. Uh, the city of Philippi uh, was founded... Uh, by Alexander the Great's father. And uh, he, his name was Philip, Philip of Macedon. And he 
called the city Philip. The city was known for, for mining gold, and so uh, it was a well-desired city. Uh, that was found about uh, 2,000 years B.C., uh, but then the Romans overtook it in 168 B.C., and it became a main uh, city of that area, of that providence. And so it says on verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we, because Timothy is with them, <laughs> went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, that they went on the Sabbath day and to, to worship. This was a normal practice of the Apostle Paul. When he was doing his missionary uh, trips to certain cities, he would go and he would find uh, the synagogue and he would go there to worship, and he would start sharing there. And he, if you go read in his preaching and stuff, uh, he was always sharing about how the Scripture, the Old Testament, how it fulfilled, how it talked and predicted about Jesus. And then he would go in and tell them about Jesus. Some would believe, and those who didn't believe generally got very angry and, you know, abused Paul and chased him out of town. Uh, but in this city, apparently, there wasn't a synagogue. So all he could do was find a place of prayer, and it was outside the city. And so that's what these four men did, was went outside the city. And it says in verse 14, and One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Theratyra, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. So this first lady that hears the gospel... And in this story, we're going to hear of three people. There's probably more people who receive Christ than these three. But in, in this, we're going to see three different people uh, that specifically uh, that, that God worked in their lives. And this one was Lydia. And we know something about Lydia. She was from a different city called Theratyra. And that was uh, across the waterways. She apparently found that she could make money by selling Purple, okay, and what that means is she sold the dyes. Theratyra was a main hub of purple dyes. Purple dyes were used to make uh, clothing for royalty, so there was money making in that. And so she had taken her business over across over into what is now the continent of Europe, and she uh, put a business together. And so we know some things about her, and we also know she was a worshiper of God. Okay, now. This doesn't necessarily mean that she has trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. She probably hadn't. She probably, in her studies to seek God and to, to know more about, or you know, maybe any God, she came to the uh, the God of the Hebrews, and apparently he made more sense than anybody else. And so she was worshiping him. There's other places in Scripture. There's a, a man named Cornelius who comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, but uh, he was a worshiper of God too before. And so she is, is uh, worshiping God, and they share the gospel with her. And it says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now here's a key portion of the scripture. Okay, Paul, we know, is a great communicator. And we go through and see some wonderful things that he said. In fact, uh, not very long after, he has one of my, my favorite uh, sermons and, uh, and how he connected it to the people of the city is just amazing. But we say all that to say here, the Lord is the one who did the work. He opened her heart. You see, when it comes to sharing the gospel, all we can do is share. It's ultimately God who, who makes that connection. It's God who draws them to that, uh, to him. 
And that is to take the pressure off of us. It's not our job to save people. It's our job to share. And it is God's job to draw them. And then it's their choice whether to choose to follow or not. So he shares and she opens up her heart. And it says, after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So she was saved. Okay. And then she does something. She opens up her house. And, and let's just stop there for a second. This is, you know, I, I think most people in here, you have a home that you live in. And a lot of us will say, God has blessed me with this home. Uh, we find over and over again, uh, especially in the New Testament, people opening their homes for God to use. And so I, as I was reading back through this this morning, it, it kind of it kind of dawned on me a little bit that one of the things we say about our home is my home is my sanctuary, okay? Meaning it's my place. I can get away from all the troubles of the world and I can can just, you know, relax or do whatever I do at home. And, and then we go, well, church is our sanctuary. And we kind of do it the same way as that the outside, the world is shut out here and this is time we can come together uh, and worship God. But our home as a sanctuary is a perfect opportunity to be a mini church, whether we're sharing it with others or we're studying the Word just like we come to the church and we have our Sunday school and we go through our lessons. Uh, if it's a place that God gives you, then we should give that back and allow God to use it. And so, uh, you know, and, and God gives us all different styles of homes and it might be big, it might be small, however it might be. Uh, we're to use that for God's glory. And Lydia does. Her house ends up being a church. Now, to, to help look at all this when I pull it all together, I, I need some help. This section over here today, you're going to be Lydia. Okay? So you, you think Lydia-ish. Uh, and in Lydia, uh, you are a, a, a self-employed woman who has um, a, a business that's doing well. Uh, you have, you worship the God of the Jews. Okay? And somebody comes to share the gospel with you, and you decide, hey, this fulfills the scripture that I've studied, and so I'm become a Christian. So you're a Christian, but you're a person of influence that's in the city, okay? That's your place. We'll get back to you later. Now, the story goes on here, and it picks up in verse uh, 16. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit, a divination, and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Okay, so as they were traveling to pray, we don't know if this was another day. It might have been the same day, that, you know, as they were traveling to the place of prayer. That that this group of men get noticed by this this girl who is a fortune teller. In the scripture, it says a spirit of Python. Okay, and it doesn't translate it here because it takes a lot of explanation to it. But she was demon possessed. But uh, the spirit of Python. Uh, Python was a a, 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 a mythical uh, serpent who protected the gates of Apollos. Okay, Apollos is one of the Roman gods. And so uh, it's believed, that's translated, that, that, that she kind of claimed that she was in relation with that mythical being who guarded the gates. So she was a Pythoness, okay, and she predicted the future, and there was good money in that. Okay, because people want to know their future. They want to know what's happening. So uh, she was uh, able to uh, bring in money by doing that. And, uh, and it says in verse 17, And she followed Paul and us, crying out, 
These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, I always kind of wondered if, if there's a spirit and it's uh, demonic, why would they want to do that? Why would any spirit want to go around and go, hey, these are servants of the Most High God? That was the truth. That was a truthful speaking. Uh, if you go back and look in Scripture, when Jesus dealt with people that was demon-possessed, there was a number of times where the demons in the person goes to, to says to Jesus, we know who you are. You're the son of the whole, Most High God. In those cases, Jesus went just kind of hushed them up, silenced them. Okay, But they proclaimed the truth. And so here they're proclaiming the truth. And Paul and Silas is, uh, and the others are kind of putting up with it. And uh, But the question is, why do that? And uh, in, in studying and reading, one of the suggestions was that, of course, there's spiritual warfare going on, there's spiritual work, and the devil knows that Paul and Silas uh, and Timothy and Luke are traveling and sharing the gospel. One day they won't be there anymore. And so if... If Satan can make a connection into their ministry, if he can get, you know, yeah, we were the ones proclaiming they were the most high God. When, when they depart, they have a foothold there. And it, it might have taken some days for, for the apostle Paul to realize this. Uh, cause it goes on and, and it says in verse 18, and she kept doing this for many days. Paul having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out of her that very hour. So finally it might have dawned on him, go, wait a minute, okay? This is not a godly woman who's proclaiming these things. And he maybe finally perceived, this is of the devil. This is of the work of of him. And so he commands the evil spirit to come out. And of course it comes out in the name of Jesus, because the power of Jesus is stronger than anything the devil has to offer. And, uh, it, and, you know, when Jesus was here on earth, the scripture talked about him crushing the head of the servant. Well, he's not walking on earth anymore, and the serpent's head gets crushed again right here, okay? Because the pythoness, the spirit came out, and she's transformed. She is now different. Now, this little group in the middle, okay? You're going to, you're the slave girl. So you, you, your life is very different from Lydia over here. Lydia has well standing in the community. Okay. Yours, you, you, somebody basically owns you in more way than one. Okay, because you're not only a slave to the people who are using you for money, you're also a slave spiritually. So I mean, you could run away from the people, and you're you're still a slave. And so, uh, and also, uh, in it, we have that, that Lydia over here, uh, uh, made a lot of money, and the money you made, you didn't get to keep. And you would have Lydia over here, who, uh, uh, would have heard the gospel. When he shared the gospel with her, it would have been talking about the Old Testament, okay? And connection, how Jesus is the Messiah. But yours wouldn't have been like that. Yours is, is that Jesus can deliver you, because that's what Jesus just did. And so you can see the the difference in, in these two people uh, that that Christ has brought into their life. So Lydia, the the demon is cast out of. Excuse me, the the uh, slave girl, the, the the demon is cast out, and it goes in verse nineteen, and it says, "But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers." And and the story went from us. To them, okay, because now it's Paul and Silas is dragged out. Timothy and um, 
and uh, Luke, okay, for whatever reason, they're not dragged into this. And it goes on in verse 20, it says, And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept their practice. And that's a fun little statement there, because the Romans, for the most part, were pretty open to hear about new things. In fact, the Apostle Paul is going to go to Thessalonica not long after this, and he's going to see all the different things that they have built to worship their God. And he's going around and scratching his head going, you know, how can I share the gospel with this group of people? And then he sees a statue to the unknown God, and he goes, there's my way in. And he goes and he proclaims to them, you are religious people. You are so religious, you have even have a statue for the unknown God, and I'm here to tell you about him. So the Romans are generally open people. So this statement that, that uh, practices that are unlawful for Romans to accept, nah, they were just mad. They lost money, and they stirred up the people, because in verse 22 it says, the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So there's a quick trial. Basically, these guys are troublemakers. Magistrate said, we'll take care of it. They had them beaten, and they had them put into prison. And so they are, there they are in the deep part of, of prison. And then we find something that happens. In verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, this is interesting. There was another story of, uh, of Peter. Peter was uh, beaten and put in the prison too. And it says that he was sleeping. And, you know, if, if I, I hope I'm never thrown in prison, but I think I would be kind of worked up if, if that had happened. And especially in the case of, of Peter and Paul and Silas, because they didn't technically do anything wrong. They were just sharing, and people got mad at them, and they were made examples of. But Peter was sleeping. Paul and Silas are praying, and they're singing. That sounds like people who are at peace with God. At peace is just, you know, trying to, you know, we're doing what God's called us to do, and, you know, sometimes this is just par for the course. This is just what happens. So what are we going to do? Ah, let's pray and let's sing. I, I was trying to think of a way to connect this to us today, to, to pull it out of uh, a couple thousand years ago and, and to go into the 20th century here. Uh, and uh, one of the uh, stories I thought about was something we watched in a movie. How many saw the movie we showed a couple years ago called The Insanity of God? Anybody here see that? Okay. See a lot of hands down. You can find that in our library. It's 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 a fantastic video. It's stories of people who are serving God all around the world and how God is doing work through them. And one of those stories was uh, from the 1960s of a, a Russian guy who got saved. He started a church in his house, and uh, the the KGB got very mad at him, and they threw him in the prison. And how singing ministered. Let's go ahead and watch that video. My name is Dimitri. 
was born a Russian man I was a factory worker until 1968 I started teaching the Bible to my two little boys That's when the journey began Our house became a church And the Sunday school grew Had a hundred and fifty Before we knew it But the KGB Didn't want got around Seventeen years they locked me up A thousand miles away This says my heart
So in verse 25, we have Paul and Silas singing and praying. And the prisoners were listening to them. And in verse 26, it says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So there was an earthquake. And it says the foundations were shaken. There's... Uh, you know, levels of earthquakes, some that are deep in the earth kind of shake everything, just kind of, you know, everything on top of the earth kind of bounces around. Uh, then there are earthquakes that are closer uh, to the uh, the top, okay? And sometimes those earthquakes cause uh, rippling or rolling effects. And that's kind of sounds what it sounds like here because the foundations were shaken. The doors were popped open. They had locks that were on them were popped open. So apparently there was a retching uh, of the prison, and, it's, and it says in verse 27, when the jailer woke and he saw the prison doors were open, he threw, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. So whether Paul and Silas kept people from escaping and said, you know, let's stay here, I don't know. Okay, Paul and Silas chose not to escape. They had something more important to do. And it says in verse 29, the jailer called for lights and he rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And that's kind of a strange question. Out of the blue, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I guess we could put the, the, put the pieces of the puzzle together here. Probably when Paul and Silas were checked into the jail, he probably said, what are these guys here for? And they go, oh, they're preaching some sort of gospel or something, and they've disturbed the peace, and so, uh, you know, uh, just lock them up and keep them in here. We don't want anybody escaping. Uh, so that might be one part of the puzzle. Certainly the other part of the puzzle is he can hear them singing and praying. Okay, so their, their testimony on that night, instead of sitting silently in prison uh, to lift their voices up to God's, is probably the main ingredient to bring this guy to ask, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household. Now, we gave you Lydia and we gave you uh, the, the slave girl over here. You get the jailer, okay? And the jailer, it's just a... Somebody who just works a common job, okay? He 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 runs a prison. Uh, he's not as special as Lydia. He, he's not self-employed, okay? Nor is he in in bondage to any people or or any spiritual beings, okay? He he knows something's missing, and in a, a time of prayer and singing at night, and he hears the evidence that goes on. He goes, "I want to be part of that," and so he trusts Jesus as Lord and Savior too. And now see these main people in in, in Philippi. The differences in them, how the gospel is reaching different people, people of status, people who are in bondage to something, and people who are just going about doing their normal life. Christ is ministering to them. And watch what happens here in verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed the wounds. And he was baptized at once. He and his family. Apparently all this happened at nighttime because in the morning we're going to find that they're back in jail again. But listen to this in verse 34. And he brought them up into his house. There's the house again. And he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. See what God did? They're not, the, the guy who's holding them prisoner is now serving them food. He's welcome into the house. See what the gospel does? The gospel changes people, and it can change them radically. And, you know, think about it. You say, who do you have a hard time getting along with? 
Who is it that is a thorn in your flesh? Maybe it's somebody you know personally, or maybe it's a group of people. Maybe you read the news and you go, that kind of people right there, I just don't know if I could like them. And yet, when the gospel is shared, they could be sitting at a table with you and eating. You can be serving them. It goes on in verse 35, and I'm just going to, to go quickly because I know the time here. But basically, they're to be released, and the Apostle Paul says no. Paul says this, They have beaten us publicly uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No! Let them come themselves and take us out. And I'm going, Paul, they're about to let you loose. <laughs> Why make trouble here? Here's the thought in that. A new church has just been established. People got to witness this event with the slave girl, and they also witnessed that the city was against that. Okay? They took them and they beat them. So right now the last uh, taste in the, in the mouth of the people in the city is that these guys are some sort of lawbreakers. So the Apostle Paul goes, you know, there's no law broken. We need an apology. I think he is establishing that, but that what they brought with God is not something that's illegal, but it is something that has status. And so he brings status to it. And I like this. In verse 38, the police reported the words to the magistrates, and they were afraid. Of course, the only law that was broken was them not having a fair trial for Paul and Silas. Okay? So they're scared. And when they heard that they were Romans, that they were Roman citizens, so verse 39, they came and apologized to them and took them out and asked them to leave the city. And that's kind of fun. An earthquake has occurred. Have you thought, earthquake? I mean, it, it broke up a, a, a strong built prison. There's other things that city officials could be doing right now, but they're going to Paul and Silas going, we're so sorry that we prosecuted you without, you know, following the, the law of the rule, the rule of the law. And so um, they asked them to leave, and they do. Verse 40 says, They went out of the prison, they visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So that is the story of Philippi. When you read the book of Philippians, you will find that uh, uh, the, the story that is behind it, that goes with it, is this story. And so in, you don't have to turn there, but in Philippians 1, if you can imagine... Okay, because Paul and Silas leave along with Timothy, okay, and along with Luke, and they move on. And now a church is established. Well, one wasn't before. And in that church are people that's just like Lydia, because she and her family. We have the servant girl, and we have the normal blue collar and his family. So a church has been established. And so they're meeting weekly. And they're studying God's Word. And they have the Old Testament, and they're, they're studying, and they're making the connections to the Messiah. And one day, somebody comes and says, I got a letter from Paul. And somebody says, let's read it. Who reads it? We don't know. It could have been Lydia. It could have delivered to her house. It could have been the slave girl who read it. It could have been the, the jailer or maybe somebody in his family. But here's the letter that they get, and here's the beginning of it. Put yourself in that place. You are this church. You're the church that Paul and Timothy and the others came through, and here's what's written to you. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Wow, the church is growing. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayers with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you and you and you (laughs) will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Of course, he goes on. Could you imagine being there on that day? But Philippians wasn't just not written for those in Philippi. It was written for us too. And in our congregations, in our churches, sit the blue-collared worker, those who have struggled with something that controlled their lives, and those who are doing pretty well in life. Life is pretty good. They're all still there. They all rub elbows. They all worship the same God. Wow, what God does is amazing. But the church didn't stay just like that. As we see, there's, there's elders in the church. There are deacons. That place grew, and it grew because it went beyond the walls of that church. Those people that were the foundation, those who first were part of that church, shared what happened with them with others. The testimony of their lives. And well, we could go, oh, yeah, I bet this is a great testimony. Oh, the slaver, oh, you know, the, the things that had her and how God saved her. Oh, she, she might be the main one. Maybe she was. I don't know. Okay. But it could very well be this, Lydia. And it could very well be this here, the blue collared worker, sharing what Christ did for them. The call for us in the book of Philippians and in the book of Acts as we study is the task that God set before us that we take them to those that are around us, that we share the gospel. And just like it said in the scripture, it's not our job to save, it's just our job to share. God will do the rest. We just have to share what God has done in our life and what he's doing in our life. Let's bow our heads in word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this portion of scripture. We thank you for looking here at uh, what Paul and, and, and Silas and Timothy and Luke were able to share at this time. Uh, we thank you more importantly that you were at work in the things that happened, that you directed them to, to Philippi and you had Lydia ready. And we ask you, Father, that you help us understand that uh, we are your servants. And the task isn't humongous. The task is just simple. Share what you're doing in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.